This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. We are proudly sponsored by Peanut the app that helps you meet like-minded women who are trying to conceive. It provides a safe space for women to build friendships, ask questions and find support. Peanut introduces you to women nearby who are at a similar stage in their journey. They provide access to a community who are there to listen, share information and offer valuable advice. Whether it's learning more about issues that affect fertility or support following pregnancy loss and miscarriage, Peanut is a place to connect with women who understand. Here at The Worst Girl Gang Ever, we strive to open up the dialogue surrounding miscarriage and pregnancy loss. Peanut shares this ethos and we recommend downloading their app for more advice, information and support. You can download their app for free. All you need to do is head to peanut.app.link forward slash girl gang or find it in your app store. Welcome to this episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are joined again by Claire, who's going to tell us the rest of her story about Lucas and her pregnancies that came after him. Um, it's great to have you back, Claire, in the Hi, studio. Claire. Thanks, Bex. Thanks, Laura. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me back. No problem. No problem. So, yeah, so last time we spoke, we ended up with the tests at Great Ormond Street. So perhaps we could just Mm. carry on from there. So it's about three months after Lucas passed away that I fell pregnant with Joel. So, yeah, pretty, pretty soon it was planned. But equally, it took us a surprise because with Lucas, you know, it took us so long to conceive with Lucas Mm. that we were anticipating that that potentially could happen again or we might not even get pregnant. And when you got that positive pregnancy test with Joel, did you experience that elation of, oh, we're pregnant, or was it completely shrouded by, oh, fuck? I I think it was the the former, the fact that I was actually pregnant again. Um, You did manage to get excited about it. Yeah, I was surprised, elated, completely elated. Was the anxiety, was it a little bit easier because you'd had those tests to confirm that he didn't have the same problem that Lucas had had the anxiety came later um because we had the tests there was that reassurance that we knew that Joel didn't have the same thing as Lucas although I think in the early you know we had to have those tests then we had the three month scan as as you do so quite early on we got that confirmation that you know in that very early stage of pregnancy everything was all right Mm. The anxiety in that pregnancy came later. And I think as I've become, it become nearer and nearer the due date, knowing that, you know, that I could have this baby and then that baby be taken away. 
And there's only so much that the hospitals can tell you that that baby mm. is okay. Um, and so although I knew they didn't have the same thing as Lucas, you still think, well, is there going to be something else? Yeah, of course. So you would say that your fear of having a stillborn baby was more accentuated than your fear of having a miscarriage in early pregnancy yeah. is that why your anxiety yeah gosh stillborn and and the fact that then when they're yeah. there yeah. you know that at any point they can still be yeah. taken away i guess yeah. you no, had no definitely. clue that there was anything wrong with lucas did you so no so in your mind it could like, happen again absolutely mm. so anything three, can happen you know we, we didn't know anything until he, lucas was three weeks old so when joel was born even in those first few weeks, you, you're looking at them all the time. And even though you know that they haven't got any, the same as Lucas, you're still looking at their facial expression. Yeah. Is their face moving? Mm. Is, is their face symmetrical? Are they moving their arms and legs properly? And you, you're just looking for something. Yeah. And did you have any help with, did you look for any counselling or anything like that to, to come to terms with that anxiety that you felt? We didn't. And I was really surprised that the lack of support that we got from the hospital. Mm, so right. we was on fetal monitoring because of what happened with Lucas. So they just monitored the pregnancy a bit more closely. And every time I went for an antenatal appointment, I would always say to them, you know, we lost a baby prior to this baby. And the nurses would be like, yeah, yeah, I can see it from your notes. But they wouldn't they wouldn't raise it and they wouldn't talk about it with us. We're quite disappointing, mm. you know, and I think it wasn't until it was literally a few weeks before Joel was, was born and I was at one of my scans and I started saying that I was feeling a bit anxious and quite quite nervous and a nurse in the room had said have spoken to anyone and we were like no we have no one's even offered us and no one's yeah. offered us like any counseling and so she made a note and at that point and I think I was about 36 weeks pregnant 37 weeks she put a sticker on my folder um, and I can't remember what it stood for but it, it, it was an acronym that basically just gave uh, made people aware that we had suffered um, a neonatal death um, so that when I went into labour, that was on the front of my folder yeah. and they could then be a bit more, you know, be aware that that's happened and just provide a bit more support to us. when we. And when did we they? Into- did you find that that was helpful in when you went um, into labour? I think okay. it definitely was. And it just made me feel that, you know, rather than me having to keep raising it, because I, I, I always felt that it, I had to be the one to mention it and raise it rather than someone raise, you know, mention it yeah. to us. Yeah. The thing is, they should be reading your notes anyway before mm. they see you, before they they treat you and everything. But we all know that that doesn't doesn't always happen. Mm. So it, so for you to know that anybody who sees you is going to be aware that this is this is a big deal, a bigger deal mm. than it than it would normally be. But even if they see that the the fact that they're seeing it and saying, "Oh yeah, I've seen that in your notes," but not saying, "I'm so sorry that you've experienced that," I think that's kind of rough. You know, that's kind of clinical, isn't it? When like, yeah. medical staff are seeing it, only acknowledging it from a medical perspective rather than a human perspective. Yeah. Because I yeah. think if I yeah, saw that, right. I, it would be, it would, you know, break my heart. And like, yes, you're pregnant and you're having a baby, but yes, you've also suffered an incredible loss. And I would want that mm. acknowledged, I think, at any point in my care. I imagine they haven't got the time to, to deal with... To say, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to see that you've lost a baby. Well, yeah, they've got the time for that. But then if they were to have a woman break down on them and cry or, you know, that's, that's tricky. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's the case, Laura. I felt like in some cases that I, I didn't get the sense that some of them were experienced enough to deal with that. Yeah. Um, so they, they didn't, they, they avoided it. Because even when I raised it and was talking to them, you could see that they were, felt a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, 
And um, so I start, I do question about how much how much experience they have of dealing with um, parents that have suffered, um, you know, a loss. Yeah. Um, and I just don't don't really know how to go about it. Um, and, and it may be that they just think that person doesn't want to talk about it. And so they don't bring it up where others actually, like myself, I think just mentally prepare for that. The whole for me as well, in the later stages of the pregnancy, I was trying to prepare myself that this is a different baby. We'd found out that he was a boy, um, which we didn't we didn't know with Lucas whether we were having a boy or a girl, but we found out during the pregnancy because to prepare us mentally that this is a different baby because I didn't know how I was going to react. I was at high risk of suffered antenatal depression as well. Mm. When you've had a loss, you're at high risk, which, you know, you would have thought that I would have been given more support. Even, even that nurse that said to me, oh, I'll put you down for some counselling. I never mm. received anything. Went into that mm. labour with, you know, with having nobody contacting me at all so I did my own preparation and, and, and my husband did as well and we didn't know how what we was going to feel for this baby when it come along because are we uh, is it just going to take us right back to Lucas and we're just going to be mourning that baby when actually really like a level of guilt as well that we were having this other baby yeah and I think that's feel really that. common because we were still pining Lucas yeah. you know that was the you know we were and, and, and it was still people- like retrospectively it was still quite soon as well wasn't it mm, after yeah you know these you've been through such a horrendous experience but only just a year beforehand really mm. having another baby doesn't make it all okay mm. actually it, it comes with a whole different complex of emotions because just that baby that you've lost is you know is 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 a completely different baby to the one you're carrying and you're going to you know it, there's so many emotions that you're feeling you're pining one baby you're having another baby and you feel guilty because you're having this baby and because you want to be happy and you want to enjoy this baby yeah. and you're highly you're emotional always, at that time anyway very emotional and mentally it's really tough and you have to be you have to be able to cope with that do you think that the view that anyone took was that you were having a new baby to kind of heal? Yeah, definitely. I think people, there's this perception, oh, and I often want the thought that it's probably going around in people's heads and it might just be my own insecurities or anxieties that people are thinking of me, oh, she's having another baby, that's a good thing, you know, to take her mind off the other baby. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, she'll be all right now. She'll be she's fine now because one. she's had another baby. Yeah. And actually, she doesn't. I've got Joel now and I've got Margot. But, but you've you also know, got lucas you had lucas yeah and i have to explain to joel joel's now coming up to four and i have to explain to him he asked about lucas where's he gone mummy and i have to explain he's in in heaven why is he in heaven why did he die mummy can i make him better mummy he wants to be a special doctor to make sick children better because he still thinks he can bring lucas back home have you read um emma poor's book for where are you liddy it's aimed at children aged three to seven as well so perfect yeah perfect yeah and it's just about how to answer the questions in the right way and I think the time has come now where I need to start reading those sorts of books to to Joel because you know we go to visit Lucas and he's got a wooden memorial and up until probably like six months ago he used to think that that elephant was called was Lucas now he knows he knows he's like mum he started asking mummy is Lucas in the ground did you and daddy put him in the ground Mm. how do you answer that you know you want yeah. to be as honest as possible without but, but it's, it's like, frightening isn't it mm. we're at the stage now because you don't know what to say to them because they, they are so young 
And I don't want him to fear. I don't want him mm. to fear death and that he's going to lose people around him. And yeah. he doesn't, because he doesn't understand, you know, people get sick and they go, and he knows they go to heaven, but I don't want him to feel that everyone that gets sick is going to, you know, he's going to lose. So it's really, it's really hard. And I knew this moment would come. We spoke about it all the time, me, me and Kes, at some point when Joel gets older, we're going to have to have that conversation and that conversation's now come. So it's it's really difficult because, mm. and then you feel guilty. Is it Has it been right that we've always spoken about Lucas? And it does make you think, I know people in the older generation that lost children that, that that lost children and never spoke about them and you think why didn't they speak about their loss you can start to understand it a bit that actually you don't want to bring that heartache on everyone else the siblings that follow I, I like talking about Lucas and I you know he's very much part of our family but then I feel like oh this taboo is just the taboo around death is just another thing that needs to be dealt with and talked about and as, if we can get a conversation going about that sort of thing then there won't be such a fear and a, again it's I just think it's so important that there shouldn't be any aspect of of life and death that is taboo and is kind of shrouded in mystery and you know discomfort and stuff and yeah I think talk about him like you love him and mm. like love is so important it, it's the most important thing in life right so yeah absolutely talk and talk, and talk and I still feel like you know I have three children and they're all they're all doing their own little thing in life like Lucas is doing his thing in, in relation to you know the the charity stuff that we've We've, we've, yeah. we've been doing like Lucas's legacy so he's, mm-hmm. he's he's not physically here but he's doing his thing and then you have like Joel and Margot which are you know they're they're little parts of their lives so you know I still very much think of myself as having three children mm. and I always acknowledge my you know always acknowledge having three children and don't mm. get me wrong there, there were times when we were out and when people would say I've just got the two children and you know at times I'd be like no actually I had three but I lost my first child. There, there was times when, you know, we'd be in a cat. I remember, you know, a particular time when we was in a, a calf and there was a lady with a little boy and she said, oh, is this, is you just got the one little boy? And I, it's usually me that used to always answer. And, and my husband, Kez, would usually just look at me and just wait for me to respond because <laughs> I'd be the one that, you know, would be, you know, pipe up. <laughs> and I looked at him and he just went, yeah, yeah. And and I just felt massively guilty. And mm. I was just like, how could you do that? Like, and he just said, it was just it was easy. It was easier just to do that. Martha make her feel uncomfortable. And but then I felt massively I was quite I was quite angry with him because I was like, I thought like, you've just, you know, you've just um you like betrayed Lucas. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You just I felt this massive like guilt that just came over me and sadness that you know I just feel like we've just you know validated it yeah and so and he and he did as well and we always now we'll always talk about Lucas and Mm. we'll always as just as well as like other people as you say you didn't want to make the lady feel uncomfortable and just as well as other people feel uncomfortable like there's no rule book and there's no like survival guide to how to deal with your own feelings around that yeah. And mm. sometimes you, like you said, you didn't deny his existence, but you took that you said what you said in that moment, or your husband said what he said mm. in that moment, because that's how he felt in that moment. That's what mm. he panicked or whatever. And there's no right or wrong in that because you're no. learning, you're learning how to deal with it, and you're learning exactly. Is, don't exactly. be hard on yourselves ever, yeah. because everyone's just trying to bloody well keep their heads above the water, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was I was cross with him. I, I could understand why he did mm. that. It, it, for him, it was just 
it was easier for him. Yeah. yeah and, you know, sometimes the easy way out is fine. Yeah, exactly. You it's just have okay. to go with it. However you feel, it's, it's like when you're going through the whole grief process. You can't say to someone that there's, you know, this is the process and this is how it's going to be and this is how, you know, you need to behave. You just mm. have to go with how you feel. There's no right or wrong. You'll mm-hmm. have update, you know, you'll have days where, which, where you're, you're fine. You'll have, you'll have other days which are really, really tough. You just have mm. to go with it. There's no right or wrong. Yeah, you have to kind of realise that actually it's a really difficult thing to be grieving alongside someone in a couple because no two people feel the same way about the mm. same thing. So yeah. to grieve in a couple, you you potentially could grieve in completely different ways and you could be looking mm. at each other thinking, how can you feel like that when I feel like this? Mm. And I think that's a really important thing that we've seen a lot is one half of the couple is saying, and mm. I really struggled with the other half because he felt, she felt yeah. like this and it wasn't matching mm. up with those feelings. And like, why would it? You're individuals mm. and everyone through this whole pregnancy loss and neonatal loss and stillbirth, everyone is deals with things and, and sees things so differently mm. it's just trying to trying to grieve the same way as someone else is trying to put a square peg in a round hole is that the think, right yeah. yeah something mm. like that yeah i think people try to protect their partner as well don't they and mm. hide hide their feelings mm. so maybe and they be strong yeah exactly yeah be, mm. be being strong for for the other um so maybe they are they are struggling just as much, but they're just trying to put that brave face on. Mm. That's yeah, why communication is key. Absolutely, Laura. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, with me and, and, and Kez, you know, we had Lucas at home because we were nursing him at home. It got to the point where he needed round-the-clock round the care and he was being medicated constantly with, with different things. And it was like a conveyor belt. And so mm. we would be working together. We were having to like aspirate tubes and things to make sure that we're doing it properly. So our communication as well had to be mm. like we we were like you know two doctors, two nurses looking after this this little mm. being. And I think going through that together, I think we because we witnessed it all and we went through it. You know, we were really hands on. I'm quite an open individual. I like you know, I like to talk about things how I feel. And like he says, like you, because you spoke about Lucas all the time, you know, about how you're feeling, it encouraged me to do the same. Mm. Uh, And I feel better for it. He said, had I not, he said, I don't think I would have otherwise. I would have probably, because he's not that sort of person, you know, he's quite a Mm. private person and he would probably dealt with it slightly differently. But he said, I think it helped me to talk about it. Mm. you know men do do I think men struggle a bit more to talk about how they're feeling mm. and they don't know where to turn to you know women I think just naturally we are we we, we do open up a bit more yeah. mm. um but also I mean that's a comment that we get time and again isn't it Laura is the fact that listening to other people talk has made people realize that it's okay to to open sure. up about things yeah. Yeah, it's good to talk. So, um, Claire, going on from that, mm. let's talk a bit about Lucas's legacy. When did Lucas's legacy start? Talk us through it and how you so got it So we started um, more or less um, just before we buried him. So I remember when we was in the funeral uh, directors, it was the lady in there. And I, you know, I, I always keep meaning to just pass by there and pop in and just sort of thank her for the suggestion of us setting up a tribute site in his memory. She suggest, she's mentioned this site that we could we could set up and just you know it's a little site that you could just put some photos up and share memories so we set one up for Lucas she got to do it but we said we'd like to do it 
and we spotted that you could link it to charities. So we put all his funeral details up there because we wanted to sort of share them with some close friends and family. Um, and I linked it to children with cancer. And the reason why I, people started asking me, oh, what should we do with in relation to sending flowers? And I just thought, well, it's a woodland burial. I don't want huge, you know, my family was asking about they wanted to do like grandson and nephew, big flower displays. Mm. And I didn't want it. I didn't want any of that. I didn't want people wearing black. I didn't want big, big flowers. I just wanted something that was just a bit, you know, feel like family and friends coming together and we're just laying him, you know, putting him somewhere that we, we, we had chosen for him. That was, you know, a lovely, a beautiful place. And I wanted, you know, I was thinking about, well, rather than these flowers, all this money spent on flowers, I'd rather it go somewhere and, and, and help out, you know, someone else. Yeah. So um, I thought of Children with Cancer UK because that was the charity that was across the road from Great Ormond Street. And I remember when, when Lucas was in hospital and I remember just standing outside looking at this, this charity and just thinking to myself, a month ago, I was pregnant. And now a month later, I'm standing outside Great Ormond Street Hospital, outside looking at this charity for uh, like children with, children with cancer. And I have a child that has cancer. Like how, yeah. how is that even possible? You know, like complete yeah. disbelief. Like I just couldn't, couldn't, you know, one, you, you don't associate children with having cancer. And two, you know, you know, like my, well, my child is one of those, one of those children like you know how has that happened so I, I I linked the charity to Lucas's page and people started making a few donations um you know for his memorial and then at Christmas time it was um so it was about six weeks after he died it was approaching Christmas and I remember thinking just feel like I need to do something for him like I, you know I mean I'm his mom and it was Christmas time you know you're still you seeing all these people going shopping buying presents for their children and yeah. you just get that urge that you want to do something for your child yeah. but you know what could I do so so I went back to the florist. I'd done his little floor display for his casket, and and I want because I wanted to make a wreath for his grave, and I wanted to hand make it. I wanted to do it myself, and I wanted um, and, and and then I planned to just take it there to put it on his grave. And I walked in, and I remember her saying to me like, "How how are you doing?" And I just burst out crying, and so I just said, "I just." just want to make him a wreath. I just want to make him something, you know, I just want to make him something special. And she took me around the back and she sat me down and she said, oh, have you ever made a wreath before? And I was like, no, I've never made <laughs> but I looked on YouTube, you know, I've done, done all the research. <laughs> oh, bless you. And she sat me down and she got, she got, she got all the stuff out and she showed me how to do it. And she said, sit here, make as many as you like, do what you want with them. You know, you're more than welcome to come here as much as you like. Oh. So I went there every day. At nine o'clock every day I was there. And I was there till about five, six o'clock that evening. I had this radio station on in the background that I'd never listened to in my life before. But it was just people talking about random stuff. But it was just my escapism. Mm. Like just away from home, away from the flat where, you know, Lucas passed away. Even away from, you know, like my, my husband, my husband. And it was just some time just by myself. It just took me away from that that, that situation, you know, yeah. that, that that little bubble that I was finding myself in. And mm. um, I made all these wreaths and she said, um, and decorated them beautifully. And she said, you know, what do you want to do with them? You know, do what you want with them. And I and I said, oh, would you, I might, is it okay to sell them? I'll sell them and put the money to Lucas's page. And she was like, of course. So I sold these wreaths and I must have made about, 
£800 on these no. reefs. Yeah, just on these reefs. And I put them all on, I put the money on his tribute pay. And at that point, it was like, I think we were nearly up to like £2,000. And I was like, oh my God, I felt so proud. I was like, oh my God, he's yeah. spent £2,000 for the charity. And then like, kept, my husband wanted to do a half marathon. So he got a couple of his friends to do a half marathon. And I had friends, people from work that I didn't really know saying, oh, Claire, I'd like to do a skydive and I'd like to do it in Lucas's memory. Is that okay? And I was like, that's that's lovely. People reaching out to me, asking me to do these wonderful things for charity. And it just started from there, really. I, I, I organised a charity ball uh, in Chelsea. And Ooh. Yeah, that, that was, um, it was Masquerade Ball. And that raised, we raised 35,000 and then we had Bloody that 10,000. that, you know, that was incredible. And we, it just went from there, really. Then my husband did a full marathon and we just started. That's great. Um, so is this all for yeah. the same charity, all for children with cancer? Yeah, so all, we've, all for children with cancer UK. So I have, I have um, a contact there, which um, I've had a couple of contacts and I work closely with them. So I'm like one of their ambassadors. So I like to, you know, I try to do my, best to promote the charity I've been to tours of um some of the research centers that they've to find out more about some of the research that they're funding which you know is incredible um they don't get any government funding childhood cancers are very different to adult cancers um a lot of the the, the treatment plans that they use are just diluted plans of um, treatment plans from adults which mm you know on on children's you know that's what they're, they're so aggressive and are these are there is there lack of uh, funding and research into childhood cancer because it's not as common leukemia's had quite a there's had quite a lot of funding and you know this obviously we've now got you know treatment plans and actually the i think about 10 out of 12 children now of for leukemia survive which is amazing and then you have like brain tumors which are the biggest killers in children and i think mm. brain tumors are quite complex um you know there's there's some the one like like the ones lucas had which there's just not that many cases for them to actually do the like do research mm. on lucas's type is very very rare um, so they just don't have that pool to do that okay. sampling and do that 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 research and um, you know a lot of it it comes down to, to funding and you know they rely on donations and and so it's just having you know a lot of research costs a lot of money. Claire, tell us how much money to date you have raised in Lucas's name. So we have raised um, uh, just over a hundred thousand pound. <gasps> That's incredible. Which is incredible. I mean, you know, as I said, when we got to a few thousand pounds, I was just like so, I was so pleased and so chuffed. And then when it went, I remember it going up to 30,000 and then it went up to 60,000. I was like, I felt so proud of him, even though he wasn't here. Because you think something so horrendous, someone going through, because he went through, you know, having seen what he went through. The fact that he's that you know that people have done what they've done in his in his memory is just really touching, and yeah. it's just you know you think actually his you know what he went through is um, going to make a difference in some shape or form. Then that's you know and what you amazing. went through, Claire. Yeah, yeah, but it's you know having. I would go through, you know, I would go through what I went through over and over again if it meant that, you know. But he would be so proud of you guys. 100%. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's, I always thought as well that um, after we lost Lucas and we had Joel, and I always wanted Joel to like think of his mummy and his daddy as being happy. I didn't want them to, I always wanted him to feel proud of us. You know, I wanted him to feel, think that, 
yes, we went through something so horrendous and awful, but it hasn't. But you hasn't. came out fighting. Absolutely. And actually, what a, what a brilliant role model, what brilliant role models you yeah, are to sure. show people how when life is so cruel and so unfair, you don't just roll over, you know, you, you no. actually... Life- Life can be Go shit. On. You can be dealt some really, really shit cards. Mm. But it's how then do you play those cards that determine, you know, whether you actually win that game or not. So yeah, so that's how that's how I think of it. And I, I want Joel to just and Margot to think, you know, my mum's tough, and I'm yeah, oh, my mum's tough, yeah. and my mum's got an MBE. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Claire, can you talk us through that, please? <laughs> oh yeah, that, well, that when that comes through last summer, I just couldn't believe it. And it, how did just, you? How did you? How do you go about getting one of them? Asking for a friend. No, <laughs> no. Do you know what? Um, it was through work. Like my 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 work nominated me um, in the birthday honours. I remember I, I opened up this letter and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, and um, Kez was like, what, what? And I sat down on the steps in the hallway. And I was just like in disbelief. I said, oh my God, I've been nominated for an MBE. And he was like, you're joking. It was lovely. I felt very um, honoured. And it was, I felt very honoured to have been uh, nominated and um, been, you know, accepted for one. So, so I couldn't tell anyone, not even family. Um, and then until they were published. Is it quite surreal? Yeah, very surreal. It was very surreal. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, an MBE? Me? 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 <laughs> Yeah. I was like, how ridiculous is that? Because, you know, like, I just feel like, you know, I'm just, you know, why, why have I got an MBE? Because um, you've raised £100,000. Yeah, I know. Well, do you know what? And it, it's, it's not, it wasn't just, I accepted it not just for me. I should say that it wasn't just for me. It's on behalf of everyone because it's not just me that I've done all that. It's every, everyone's contributed to that. Family, friends, strangers, you know, everyone's, you know, contributed to, to mm. Lucas's legacy, which I'm truly grateful for. And I accept it, you know, I accepted it in um, on, on behalf of everyone. It's um, for the hard work that they've put in. It's incredible. Um, I went to the palace in December to collect it. Felt really, um, yeah. So was, did it we call very you lady or mom? Or... No, I just I just get letters. I just get letters. Okay. And so, what's next for you? Um, well, I've, I've I've promised, and I've said to the charity that obviously I'm going to keep fundraising for them. Lucas's legacy will continue, mm-hmm. and yeah, we will continue. Like we're constantly. I want to do another charity ball. Um, cool. Sign uh, us up right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely want to do another charity ball. Um, and um, do quite a lot of sport. So my netball club have been brilliant as well, and they they um, they sponsored the, you know one of their charity of choices, Children's Cancer UK. Um, so they do some fundraising as well for the charity. So yeah, so I'll, do a I'll shout keep... out for the netball club. Yeah, High Park Netball Club. <laughs> <laughs> They've been brilliant. So um, yeah, so I'll just keep I'll keep going. And if anyone is listening, wants to donate, how do they go about doing that? There is, Lucas has, uh, his tribute page is lucas.alibucks at Much Loved. Which, how, um, how, can you spell out your surname, please? Yes. I'm looking Lucas. at it and I'm like, whoa, that's exciting surname. <laughs> yeah, it's A-L-L-E-B-U-X. So Ali Bucks. If you put Lucas Ali Bucks in uh, Google, he will pop up. A little picture of him will pop up with his tribute page. Um, he's the only Lucas Sally Bucks out there. So yeah, that'll link you through to his tribute site and there's a little donate button at the top. Um, awesome. That's incredible. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for, for coming on twice. 
and for telling us the story of your amazing little boy Lucas and we are we oh gosh I'm absolutely in awe of you um completely inspired by your determination and your bravery it's been wonderful to have you Claire Lady Claire Lady Claire (laughs) mum so thank you everybody for listening over and out roger that see you next time bye bye we need to work on our on our ending thank you so much everyone for tuning in and please please when you have a second rate us review us and share us and let's get this taboo smashed see you next week Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.